Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. Uh, last week I mentioned some books that uh, numerous ones, numerous of y'all have asked me about these books uh, that I talked about last week. The first one that I've been, we've been in the, Brother George in the Adult Sunday School class, we've been talking about end times for 13 months now. And one book that I've studied a lot is this book by Pastor Bob Yandy, and he used to be pastor of Grace Fellowship up in Tulsa. And it's called Understanding the End Times. It's an outstanding book. It's not real theologically deep, but he goes into exquisite detail about what's fixing to happen on this planet. Okay, something's fixing to happen on this planet. Another book I brought uh, just to show you is by Dwight Pentecost. It's called Things to Come. And he goes into minute detail. We talked about, remember last week we talked about the rapture of the church and about the, the different theories about the rapture, the pre-tribulation, the mid-tribulation, the partial rapture, the post-tribulation. We talked about those. He goes into exquisite detail about how to, to if you ha- if the only way you can believe in those theories is to destroy the foundation of dispensationalism yeah. in the Word of God. And we remember we looked at Ephesians chapter 3 last week that we live in the dispensation of the grace of God. Thank God we live under grace. Amen. Amen. You know, that's why we're not stoning people right now that's right. In, in most civilized nations. But uh, another book I wanted you to uh, really recommend that you read, it's called My Time in Heaven. My Time in Heaven. It's by a man named Richard Sigmund. And he was dead for eight hours. He was fixing to be embalmed, and, and then he woke back up. And uh, this is an outstanding book. If, if you want a, a travel brochure of heaven, this and Revelation 21 and 22 are the best things I've ever read if you want to see a travel brochure of what's waiting for you on the other side. Amen? Okay. But we started talking about last week. Remember, we laid a couple of ground rules down about end-time events. If you, you know, there are different theories out there about end-time events. And it's not, a, it's not a heaven or hell issue, okay? If you disagree with some of the things I say, praise God. You know, that's fine. I mean, we'll, we'll just agree to disagree. If you want to argue about it, Roland Rojas, raise your hand. <laughs> it's called delegated authority. <laughs> Roland, raise your hand. If you want to argue, you see Brother Roland, okay? <laughs> so, anyway, we were talking about last year, we, talk, we were talking about the rapture of the church. And uh, I, just to... Quick review, quick review. We've talked about the rapture of the church. The, the next event on God's timetable is the rapture or the catching away of the church, the body of Christ on the earth. Okay, again, we are what? What are we on the earth? We are the body of Christ. Okay, what, remember, anybody remember when it's going to happen? We talked about when? Could happen at any minute. There is absolutely nothing. There's no signs in the scripture. There's nothing that has to take place before the rapture or the catching away of the church has to take place. In fact, the rapture of the church itself is a sign of the second coming. Okay, so what's going to happen then? Uh, who's going? Who's going? Remember who's going? Remember we talked about who's going? Every born-again person, if you're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, you will go in the rapture of the church. You say, but I got spots. I got wrinkles. Welcome aboard the black pearl, okay? We've all got spots. We've all got wrinkles. And we talked about that. How's that going to happen? Okay, remember we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, that he's going to present us to himself a church without spot or wrinkle. When is he going to present us to himself a church without spot or wrinkle? At the marriage supper of the Lamb, after we go through the Bema. Remember we talked about the Bema? 
The, the, the King James says judgment seat. It's just one word in the Greek. It means reward seat of the Lord Jesus Christ, where you will be rewarded for the things that you did in your body while you were here. Okay? Remember, there are three. You, everybody has two piles. Remember, we talked about two piles. Everybody has a, have piles of gold, gold, silver, and precious stones. Everybody has a pile of wood, hay, and stubble. Okay? Now, if you get to the judgment seat or the bama seat and you see a diesel truck sitting over there with a bunch of fire extinguishers, that's not a good sign. That's not a very good sign. But you know, thank God, those things will get burned up. You know, Pastor Rusty lives over here on the bay and he sees the towboats go by all the time. How would you like to go through eternity? Pulling wood, hay, and stubble behind you the whole time you're going through eternity. Thank God that's good, that stuff's going to get burned up. Amen. And it'll be gone. There'll be, there won't even be any remembrance of it. So the only thing that will last is the gold, the silver, and the precious stones that we did while we were here. We will be rewarded for what we did while our body. We're already saved. If you're there, your salvation is not in question if you're there. But what you did, the works that you did while you're in the flesh, you will be rewarded for those. Amen? Amen. So, we talked about... Uh, understanding the times that we live in. You know, I think it's, uh, and I brought some more notes again this week that I didn't use last week. But uh, we talked about the times last week, understanding the times. You know, in First Chronicles chapter 12, I think around verse 31, 32, it, says, it talks about the men, the children of the men of Issachar. They understood the times about what, they understood the times that they lived in about what Israel should do. And then we know again in from Matthew chapter 16, that uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, they, they asked him, show us a sign. Show us. You know, they're always looking for signs. The Jews are always looking for signs. The Greeks look after knowledge. You know, yeah. The Greeks search after knowledge. Gentiles search after knowledge. But the Jews are looking for signs. You know, and when you study that, it's really, it's really fascinating when you study that. But uh, he said, you know, you can discern the signs of the sky, he told the Jews. But he said, but you cannot discern the times of your visitation. So, but Jesus doesn't want us ignorant. Amen. Remember, we looked at the, we were talking about being ignorant last week. Yeah. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen says, "Brethren, I would not have you ignorant." Yeah. What the literal Greek says there, Paul says, "I know you're ignorant. You don't have to be ignorant, but you'll probably always be ignorant." <laughs> That's what the literal Greek, the mood and tense of the Greek says right there. So we don't want to be ignorant. No, don't. You don't have to stay ignorant. How do, you, how do we stop being ignorant? Through the knowledge of the exceeding great and precious promises found in the Word of God. Okay. So what's God want me to do? Well, His desire is for you to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power in the inner man, and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father. And he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, and into the kingdom of light. That we've been yeah. translated out of darkness, we've been translated into the kingdom of light. So that's what his desire for you is to increase in knowledge and wisdom. Because knowledge and wisdom is what? It's the stability of our times and strength of salvation, Isaiah 33 6. So, in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we find what's called the kingdom parables. Matthew chapter, you can uh, go ahead and, uh, let's see. Nah, that's, that's all, you can, but uh, Matthew 13, verse, look at verse 44, flip. Anyway, I did bring my notes this week. Okay, we find seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. Okay, three of the parables describe life in the church age. It's the parable of the sower, the mustard seed, and the yeast. All tell how faith comes and grows. 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That faith comes and grows. The theme of all three parables is that the kingdom of God is going to start out small and have a small beginning, but it will grow and produce great results. Okay? And we're seeing the fruit of that, some of that now. These parables are followed by two other parables that describe at the end of age how the angels are going to... And if, I don't think we'll have time this evening to talk about it, but in Matthew chapter 24 it talks about the wheat and the tares how God, Jesus is going to separate for the wheat from the tares, bad fish from the good fish. Okay, and you could talk about that. Uh, two parables about how the wicked are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew 13, 50. Okay, now here's what I want to point out to you. Connecting the church age and the tribulation age are two parables of great sacrificial love. Okay, y'all are going to like this. Okay. Finding a treasure in a field, a man who finds a treasure in a field, and the pearl of finding a pearl of great price. How many of you always heard that, well, Jesus is our pearl of great price? Uh, uh, let's, let's, let's see what that actually says. Okay, look at verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13. Again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The man in the parable is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and a parable is a, is, is a story. An illustration. Okay, everybody knows what a parable is. It's an illustration. And the treasure he found was the nation of Israel. Again, the nation of Israel was the only nation ever created that was supernaturally started by God. God spoke to a man named Abram, told him, leave. Y'all know the story. We don't have time to go to Genesis, but how the nation of Israel was formed. Okay, he first purchased, the field that he purchased was the entire world. Okay, did Jesus die for the sins of the whole world? Of course he did. First John 2, 2, we know that he's, he's, he's not only the propitiation for our sins, but for the whole world. Okay? The man in the parable discovered the treasure. It was hidden. When he went to purchase the field, it was hidden again. As a nation, Israel was started in obscurity, and after A.D. 70, they were returned to obscurity. Now, during Jesus' time, the nation of Israel was at its peak. Okay? After that, they started going downhill. God took that nation, made it, He's a tre- a tre- a treasure is made of what? Jewels. Jewels. Diamonds, rubies, sapphires, emeralds. And all those things are found in the earth. Okay? And we reached this peak that they did not receive him. We all know that he came to his own, and what? His own what? Received him not. Okay? He already warned them that if once they did that in Matthew 21, 43, that he would turn to the Gentiles. And okay, the good news now is that Israel is not going to stay hidden forever. In fact, we are seeing the fruit of them coming back into the research. There, I mean, when you start to talk about signs of the end times, there's one word that you need to really pay attention to. It's called convergence. Okay, convergence. When you start seeing all these signs happening at one time, you, you, you know, remember my favorite Martian? Your little antenna is all to go up. You ought to be paying attention because all these signs are happening at the same time. We said, well, that's, that's, that's an indication of the rapture church. No, that's an indication of the millennial reign. Yes. Because the earth, the church is pregnant with the rapture of the church. Yeah. But the earth is pregnant with the millennial reign. Okay? And when, when you look over there in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 8, it talks about all the signs. Because in Matthew 24, the, the disciples came and asked Jesus three questions. He said, what shall be the signs of the, what shall be, when shall these things be? Because Jesus had told him, you see all these things in the building, the stones, temple, not one stone is going to be left one upon another. And Jesus said, and the disciples said, well, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And what shall be the sign of the end of the age? The first thing Jesus told him in, in, in verse 4 of Matthew 24 is, don't be deceived. Have you ever seen a time on this planet when deception is worse than it is now? 
I mean, you can lie on Facebook and nobody can tell the difference. You can, the, the people can lie, they can put stuff out there, and nobody can tell the difference because it's just such a, an onslaught of it. It's almost like a flood. Okay? But anyway, the good news is that Israel will not be hidden forever. Once the church is taken up, and if we have time, I want to look at Daniel chapter 9 because you have to understand the difference between the two time periods. Okay? There's Jewish time, there's Gentile time. Okay? There's two times. And what, ha- what people do, they get these times. I was watching certain club comes on TV, on, has a number, has a club. And they were telling again about how, oh, no, that rapture of the church, that's, that's false doctrine. The church is going to go through the tribulation and so on and so forth. And I'm just thinking, do they, do they not ever study the word? Or do you just hear something? Well, I've heard it. That must be true. That's the way I've always believed it. You know, if you, your gospel should be able to stand a challenge of the word of God, what you believe whatever you believe. But the good news is Israel's not going to be, and they're going to be unveiled during what's called Daniel's 70th week. And we may have time to get over there. Okay, which is the tribulation period. Okay, in the meantime, God is working on another work of beauty. Okay? He's building a pearl of great price until it's time again to unearth the treasure. Okay? Who's the treasure? Treasure is Israel. Who's the pearl of great price? Let's find out who the pearl, the pearl of great price is. The pearl of great price is the church. In fact, in, fact, in Matthew 13, 45, 46, Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. When he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The pearl is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not Jesus. Because why? The church was purchased. Jesus wasn't purchased. Okay? The pearl was so beautiful that the merchant man was willing to sell everything that he had to buy it. And the merchant man is who? None other than the Lord Jesus. You know, the Bible says we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. Okay, listen to some things about pearls here that I I wrote down on my notes. Of all the precious gems of the earth, pearls are the most unique. 1 Peter 2.9 calls the church a peculiar or a unique people. It means peculiar, you know, some of us are more unique or peculiar than others. But it says unique. Okay, pearls are taken from the sea. What's the sea representative in the scripture? Mankind, all of us, okay? The sea is a type of many nations of the world. You can find that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. Revelation 17, verse 1 and 2, and verse 15. Okay, a pearl is a complete indivisible unit. You don't divide a pearl. Now, you have to cut and polish gems, but you don't divide a pearl, okay? Gemstones have to be cut and polished, but a pearl is complete when it's discovered. What does Colossians 2.10 say? Y'all can quote it. We are complete in Him. We are complete. We used to sing a song, I'm complete, I'm complete, complete in Him. I can see see some of y'all never heard that. Brother George remembers that one, don't you, Brother George? Y'all just just a bunch of young folks. Pearls begin with one irritating stone. Okay? Jesus is who? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the stone that the builders refused. The stone that the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Okay? The church exists because of the stone, Jesus. Jesus irritates Satan's kingdom and all who live in darkness. You ever been around somebody that you just irritate them because they see the light in you irritates them? I have. If, if none of y'all ever worked in a refinery, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, you, can, you can stir up some devils by just being light. 
okay? Pearls are built one layer at a time. All other gems are formed. We are all living stones, 1 Peter 2.5, layered onto Jesus. One day, the final layer is going to be added to the original stone, and the church is going to complete. Now listen to this last one. Pearls can only be displayed when they're lifted out of their place. So what's the oyster shell? The oyster shell is the earth. We're getting ready to be lifted out of that oyster shell, and we're going to be put on display for the ages to come, the ages and ages and ages to come. God is going to point to the members of the church. We don't realize how special we are. And I'm not talking about just special, special. We, are spe- we have been bought with a price. We've been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Okay? Did you know that no other race, people before, Acts chapter 2, that happened to? We're a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of the authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of 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 light. Okay? So, and you realize that when you get a glorified body, you're going to be walking around in the millennium here and people are going to be looking at you. There goes one of them. Look. He was, he, he was born again. He was one of the people that were born again at one time. Yeah. He was born again during that, that dispensation of the age of grace. Yeah. And they're going to say, look, look, look. You're, gonna, you're, you know, you're not going to be just peculiar here. You're going to be peculiar for all history, yeah. for all eternity, really. Okay, so we talked, about, we talked about the rapture. Again, the rapture is imminent. I believe it's imminent. I believe he's coming in my lifetime. I'm 67 years old, and I believe he's coming in my lifetime, Brother George. I, and I'll, I know you do too, because you, you're well. You're 20 years older than me, so that's <laughs> no secret. But anyway, I believe he's coming in Brother George's lifetime. Amen. Why would you believe that? Because he could come any minute. It's imminent. Okay. So let's look at. What do you say? Well, let me before we go any further. Let me. Because I can say I'll run out of time before I finish all this. Let me give you an overview of where we're at right now. We are in the time period right before the rapture of the church is to take place. Okay? So what's the next thing? The, what's what's going to happen once the rapture of the church takes place? All chaos is going to break out on this planet. You stop and think, once every born-again person is removed off the planet. You think it's bad now? Yeah. Wait till there's nobody praying here. Yeah. For, for a short period of time. Yeah. Wait till there's nobody praying. You stop and think about this. Uh, is Alan here? Was that you that telling me somebody said uh, that all the babies will be removed at the rapture of the church also? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, who? Who? Jim Evans. Jim, oh, Jim Evans. Yeah. Jim Evans. <laughs> oh, on TV. The guy on TV. Okay, yeah. Okay, Jim Evans. Okay. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. But I had heard that, but you stop and think. Stop and think, you have a newborn, and you go in there, and the next morning he's missing. You talk about panic. This, this, the earth is going to go into a panic, and it's going to go into a crisis. And then what's going to happen? The first thing that's going to happen after the rapture of the church is God is going to seal 144,000 Jewish men out of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12,000 men out of 12. You can find this in the book of Revelation. 12,000 men out of each of the 12 tribes. Okay. They will begin to evangelize the world. They will have a mark in their foreheads that the Antichrist will not be able to hurt them. So what's going to happen? You're going to have 144,000 Jews. They're going to start preaching the gospel. Okay, at the same time, with all this chaos going on on the planet, a person is going to arise in the area of the old Roman Empire, which is most of Europe, the, most of the Middle East, most of Northern Africa. You say, why? I thought the Antichrist was going to rule the world. He's going to rule a portion of the world, but not the whole world. And remember, we looked at that word, that word for world there in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. 
oikomene, Cheryl, if you're watching, correct me. <laughs> Cheryl's real good with the Greek. But uh, oikomene, and it means the area of the Greek-speaking earth that was populated by the Roman Empire. Yeah. Doesn't mean the whole planet. But you say, well, does that mean the, the tribulation is going to be not going to be worldwide? No, it's going to be worldwide, but it's going to, the worst, worst part of it is going to be over there in that area. Yeah. You'll, see, you'll, it'll be, you'll see it here. You, oh, yeah. You, I bet you, you'll see it here because why? Well, many Christians here. Christians. Stop and think, what? You think the police have it bad now? What do you think when there's no uh, Christians praying for them, yeah. believers praying for them? So the Antichrist is going to begin to rise in the first three and a half years of the tribulation over there. Okay? He's going to be consolidating his power. He's going, to, he's going to subdue ten kingdoms, and they're going to come together under his authority and under his power. Okay, so at the beginning of the tribulation, he is going to make a, con, a covenant with the nation of Israel to protect them for seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Okay? In the middle of that covenant... Now, in the meantime, these 144,000 Jewish evangelists, they're going to be getting people saved during the tribulation. These people are called tribulation saints. Many of them will be martyred. They will, it will cost them their life to be a Christian during the tribulation period. Because you can read about them in Revelation. I, I forget what chapter it is. It says, before, he said, millions and millions of people before the throne. It says, and, the, and the angel asked him, do you know who these are? And, and, and John says, Sir, thou knowest. He says, These are those which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So millions of people will be saved during the tribulation period. The tri evangelism during the tribulation period is going to go from zero to worldwide in seven years. Seven years. Okay. Millions of people are going to be saved. So what's going to be happening to us during that time? Okay, let's, let's, get, let's just get parenthetical here. Once we're gone, we have two appointments. We have the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. They're called the judgment. In English, they call it the judgment seat. Bema is the Greek. It means rewards. Okay? We will be going through that where we will receive rewards for the things that we did while we were here in our body. Okay? Whether good or bad. The good, wood, hay, and stuff is going to get burned up. Gold, silver, and precious stones we're going to get rewarded for. Then we're going to go to something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? Well, even, you mean even carnal Christians are going to go in the rapture? Carnal Christians are going to go in the rapture. Baby Christians are going to go in the rapture. Mature Christians are going to go into the rapture. Because when Jesus comes, there's going to be babies here on the earth. You stop and think about it. One, somebody on the planet is going to be the last person saved in that dispensation. He won't know anything. Ella tells a real funny story about back in, I think back in 1980, her and... Rachel, Rachel, well, Rachel Birchfield, her maiden name was Rachel Cook before she married Tommy. They were doing an outreach down on the Colorado River in Bay City. And Ella was doing the music and Rachel was doing the preaching. And uh, some young, how, what was she, a teenager or something? Maybe 15, 16-year-old teenage girl got saved. And she, and she got saved. She got radically saved. And anyway, that was at that, I think it was that evening they asked her to come up there and, you know, hey, you know, I want to get my testimony. I want to get my testimony. And this girl was, she, she had been a wreck for what, for what Ella said. And she gets up there and they give her the microphone. She says, now this is a baby Christian. She says, oh, I love Jesus. I just want you all to know that I got saved this morning at the meeting, and I feel a hell of a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> was she saved? Absolutely she was saved. But she was a baby. She needed to be fed milk, you know. She, she was born again. Of course she was born again. She felt, you know, like I, you know, those of you that have heard my testimony about when I got saved back on January the 5th, 1975. And I was sitting there at the little, the little white building on the corner of Garrett and Casey Street. 
on uh, January the 5th, 1975, I was sitting there and I, had, I was working on a harbor tug in Texas City Harbor down around the, around the chemical plants. And I got off that morning about six o'clock, I was sitting there brushing my teeth in the mirror and, and I, heard, I heard something inside me, now it wasn't audible, but something inside me told, said, go to church with your mother this morning. Oh, okay, and it was, it, was a, it was a very strong impression. And now listen, I was raised a Lutheran. Praise God for the Lutherans. Praise God for the Lutheran church. But we were taught to sit there, be quiet, shut up. And just You should be seen and not heard. Okay? So for 18 years, that's what I did. And I sat there, and I went in there, and Brother Hoyt Borden from the Cayman Islands was the pastor there. And I couldn't tell you two words that he spoke in that, in that meeting. But, but what he did, he said, at the, many, at the end of that service, they had a little, like a little bench that you sit on in the back. And I was sitting there on that little bench, and he said, does anybody have any prayer requests? And I said, and I thought, I had heard sometimes, somewhere, that if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, he'll do it. So I was sitting there on that little bench like this, and I, sit, I was just sitting, sitting there kind of like that, and I said, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart right now. And I'm telling you, something came into me. I said, I, said, I, I was like this. I was Praise God, something happened to me. And it's just all these people, these were old people. They were over 60 now, of course. Sixty's not old anymore. And they all gathered around me and said, speak in tongues, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. What are they talking about? But I tell you, something happened on the inside of me. If you, if, you know, if you haven't, if something, if you think you're born again and nothing's changed, you may need a rerun, okay? Because when you get born again, you know there's something different about it. Something changed in you. You know, you can be a poor lost church member. You know, just like I was reading an article the other day about the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York City, Brother Rusty, said that there's no such thing as the virgin birth. There's no such thing as the resurrection. That is a myth. Now, those, that crowd's going to stay here, okay? That crowd's going to be left here, okay? Why? Because they're not born again. They may go by the name Christian, but they're not born again. Big difference. You know, that's why we encourage people have a relationship with Jesus, not religion, because rules and regulations judge and condemn people. But Jesus is all, he'll always accept you. He, even when you mess up, he's like, you just run to him. Say, Jesus, I messed up. He said, Oh, I know. He knows, he, know, he knows when you mess up. But what you do, you go to him, you run to him, you pray, you ask him forgiveness. Brother George always t tells us in the Sunday school, if you mess up, just ask Jesus to forgive you. He'll forgive you. And he will. He will. So, but anyway, that's what happened to me when I got saved. I got born again because for years I had been raised a Lutheran, raised in church. And even when I went through three years in the army, and I, I had a Bible, and I'd read the Bible in the, uh, while I was in, man, the time goes by fast, in the army. And I'd sit there and read the Bible. Wasn't saved. You mean, can you mean you can read the Bible and not be born again? Absolutely. Yeah. You're looking at one right here. Yeah. Look right here, right here. But thank God he's kept me alive for almost 23 years before I could make an intelligent decision to ask Jesus into my heart. Amen. Okay? Amen. And I thank him every day. Jesus, thank you for Because I did some, I don't know if I did as stupid things as you did, Brother <laughs> Rusty. But, but I did some pretty stupid things when I was, when I was younger that could have cost me my life very easily. And, uh, but, you know, he had mercy on me. He had grace and mercy. Oh, thank God. Thank amen, you, Lord. Amen. And uh, so you can, you can be a Christian in name only and not be born again. Yeah. You know, the Imperials sang a song back in 1980 called Old Buddha. It said you can, you can call yourself a charismatic and not be born again. But if you hate your brother, you, you won't be one of the chosen of you. It goes on to tell you, I can tell you, all a bunch of youngsters. <laughs> 
But anyway, let's move on. So what's, what's, what happens once the rapture of the church? What's preventing the Antichrist from taking over right now? Open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry. Now let me give you a little history of, what's, of the two letters of Thessalonians. Paul wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians in A.D. 54 from his visit. You can read about his visit to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 9. And he wrote a letter. And the coming of the Lord is prominent in all five chapters of 1 Thessalonians. Okay? You can, you can read it. You, we're not going to go. You can read it later on. But he talks about the rapture of the church. He talks about the coming of the Lord. Okay? So what happened, Paul left, went to Corinth, and, some, and everywhere Paul went, he'd have these Judaizing teachers that would come behind him and start spreading false doctrine. False, they called them the Judaizers, and they spread false doctrine. False doctrine. Did Paul, is Paul an apostle? Who made Paul an apostle? We didn't make Paul an apostle. We, you know, and that's why he always says in his letters, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Not man, you know, in the gospel he preached, he said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, 12, he said, I certify you that the gospel I preached was not after man. He said, I didn't receive it from man. I didn't hear it from man. I got it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself from his own mouth. Okay? And you can read about that later on. But what happened, these people came by and started spreading rumors. Okay? Well, at this time, what was happening was Nero was in charge in Rome. He was the, the emperor in Rome. Uh, Caesar, emperor, whatever you call it. And uh, he was in charge. And he, persecution was very hard on the Christians at that time. And these people came along and said, you're in the tribulation now. Yeah. You're in the tribulation now. You know, Paul's changed his mind. They, they actually, they wrote a letter and forged Paul's name to it and sent it to the church at Thessalonica, who were mostly Gentiles. They were mostly Gentiles. And he sent them that letter. And he said, you got left behind. So what does that do? Well, that immediately causes fear and panic. Well, we know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, that the, the, the rapture of the church is supposed to, you're supposed to be comforted by the rapture yeah, of the church. Amen. The rapture of the church is a message of comfort and hope that you're not going to be here to go through the worst of it. Okay? It's God's desire that we be delivered from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Okay? So anyway, Paul had to come along and write another letter. He said, I'm going to straighten all this out. So he wrote another letter called 2 Thessalonians. And let's look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, let's look at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That is the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church. Why? Because at the second advent, he does not gather the believers together. He's coming to judge the earth in the second advent. That's, you know, people get the idea of Jesus with a little lamb on his shoulder and being meek and mild and nice and everything. He's not coming back like that, folks. He's coming back in righteousness. He's coming back to judge and make war and take vengeance on the Christ-rejecting people and demons on this planet. That's how he's coming back. And he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron for 1,000 years. And then, well, I don't get, I don't get a hold of myself. But anyway, he's going to rule and reign for 1,000 years. Okay? So verse 1 says... Now I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. There's a coming in verse 1. We're going to look at this. There's a coming in verse 1 and a coming in verse 8. Okay? Verses 2 through 7 tells us what's going to happen between the two comings. Verse 2. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Boy, do we live in a day when your mind can be shaken? 
Do we not? Amen. We live in a, I mean, you, all you have to, I quit watching the news media. I, 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 honestly, I quit watching, I, I told them, I said, turn that mess off. Turn that garbage off there. I don't even want to see that mess. You know, and especially when you have people that you need, that need to be praying for them, and when you have a hard time even, I don't even want to look at that person. But, you know, you've got to pray for them anyway. Yeah. So we pray for them that God would have mercy on them until they can make an intelligent decision for Jesus. Amen. But anyway, we, we quit watching it. That you be not soon shaken in the mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Every other translation says the day of the Lord. Okay, look at verse 3. Paul is telling the Ephesians, don't be moved by the different winds of doctrine. Okay, and you remember over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, where it says that don't be taken about with every wind of doc doctrine, with, a by, with cunning craftiness and the slight of men. Yeah. You know what that term there, the slight of men, means? That word is only used one time in the New Testament. It's the word cubia. And we get the word cube from it, and what it refers to is loaded dice. Oh. It says when you get... When you when you fall for the winds of doctrine, different doctrines, you are, and this is literally what it says in the Koine Greek, you're in a crapshoot with the devil and there's no way you can win. Wow. When you start falling for false doctrine and you don't, line, you don't study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word to. Studying this end times, you know, I, found, I realized what he's talking about there, Rusty. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, don't, let, don't let me forget that. I won't come back to that point. But... Because I always thought that that was studying the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. But you've got to read down three verses okay, to see what he's talking about. Okay. Let, verse 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The tribulation shall not come except there come a falling away first. The word there for, in the Greek is apostasia. And that man of sin be revealed or disclosed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself about all that is called God or that is worshipped, so as he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That day is a reference to the tribulation. Okay, now look, listen to this. And I learned this from Brother Osteen, John Osteen. The Greek text, the phrase falling away in this verse is not a verb, it's a noun. It's a noun. Okay. In this context, the verse can also be translated, don't be fooled by any means, for the tribulation cannot come until the departure occur first. Okay? The departure is speaking of the rapture of the church taken off the planet. Because this is also brought out in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, if there be found an evil, find an evil heart in you, departing from the living God. So it can... In fact, Kenneth Weiss in his translation brings it out the most with the mood in the tense of the Greek. He says, for the afore, this day cannot come first except the aforementioned departure of the church take place. So what's restraining the Antichrist? It's not Facebook. It's not Instagram. It's not Snapchat. It's not President Trump. It's not anybody else, not Hillary Clinton, not anybody else. They're not the ones... Uh, holding back the Antichrist. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ anointed with the Holy Ghost in it because we all have the Holy Ghost living in us. Okay? You, you stop and think about it. If he tried to manifest himself, the church would nail him on the spot. Okay? He would stop him because we don't realize, we don't realize how much power and authority we do have in the spirit rule. Well, some of us may, some of us do, but I think we could all learn even more than what we do know. But anyway, let's look at verse... Um, Getting cramped on time, so let's keep going. Second, let's look at verse 5. Um, 
Remember ye not that when I was with you, was with you, I told you these things. Paul's saying, hey, I told you this once. I haven't changed my mind. Verse 6, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Paul's telling them, you know what's withholding him and hindering him from being revealed. It's you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't been left behind. He st- the rapture has not taken place. The resurrection has not taken place. He hasn't come yet because you're holding him. The he who hinders or restrains is the church. Some teach that the Holy Spirit is the one who's hindering to be taken out of the way. And it's true, it's true that the Holy Ghost does live in him. But you stop and think about it. Is the Holy Ghost going to be taken away during the tribulation? He can't be because there's going to be millions of people saved during the tribulation period. And the Holy Ghost is the agent of salvation. Yeah. People can't, get, people can't get saved unless the Holy Ghost convicts them. That's the only thing they convict them of. The Holy Ghost will convict them of is not receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay? When, you, when you mess up, I always said a different word, but when you mess up, that's not the Holy Ghost convicting you. That's your own reborn spirit convicting you. That's your own reborn spirit. The Holy Ghost, he says in, John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said the Holy Ghost will convict the world of sin because they believe not on me. Yeah. Okay. Let me keep going. Let's look at verse 8. I'm sorry, let's look at verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, mystery of actually means lawlessness. The mystery of lawlessness doth already work. Only he who now letteth or restrains will let or restrain until he be taken out of the way. The he is the body of Christ here on the planet at this time. You said, well, I thought we were the bride of Christ. That's still prophetic, okay? Jesus, is not, Jesus does not have a male head and a female body. Yeah. Okay? You know, you, a lot of people are confused nowadays about that, but Jesus is not confused about that. Okay? <laughs> we, we, he has a male head. You know, like if I say, well, look at here, because Jesus and his head, the head and the body are one. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't, you know, Brother Roland come in the door, I would say, well, look at there, there comes Roland Roll Haas and his body. You know, no, his head and his body are the same. We are the same, identified, we are identified with him. Amen. Okay? So, so look at verse 8. For the, verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who letteth will now let until he be, he be taken out of the way. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's the second advent. That's the second advent right there. It's not the rapture of the church. That's the second coming. Even hymns, talking about the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay? There is a great, once the church is gone, there is going to be a tremendous deception and delusion to come on this planet like the likes of this planet has never seen. Personally, I believe people have been being groomed for it since 1947. 1947. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Roswell, New Mexico. When this current thing about these UFOs start to, ah, don't start that. You know, listen. 
The Navy, the United States Navy, is now investigating those things. So they have tracked those things on radar, making ballistic moves that are impossible. So don't, you know, let me read you a quote. Let me read you a quote. For people that don't, for just, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs that he who answers the matter before he hear it is a shame to him. Okay. Let me let me read. It's been quoted to several different people, so I'm not sure who originally came up with the quote was. It says, "There is a principle, which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is condemnation before investigation. Don't condemn something if you haven't investigated yet." But you stop and think, well, you know, you really think that? Yeah, there's something to that, okay? I believe. Now, if you don't want to believe, again, leave your seashells and sand dollars at the back door. Don't be throwing them up here. But, you know, don't stone me. Rolling, see rolling. But anyway, but you stop and think, but, you know, in, in these things, I saw an article just on TV the other day. These, these things are growing and growing. They're seeing more and more and more of them, of these things, these demonic manifestations coming into our dimension and trying to manifest themselves. You say, oh, come on, you don't believe that. Well, you can believe what you want to, but I think, I believe there's, there's something wicked about it. Oh, there is, yeah. There's something wicked about it, okay? Amen. And there's one indistinguishable fact that is not undeniable, that you cannot deny it. Okay, this, this Roswell thing, which started the current, UFO phenomenon, crazy, whatever you call it, was in July of 1947. And exactly, exactly nine months later, Al Gore was born. <laughs> you, you cannot, that is an undeniable fact. Undeniable. You, you look it up. So, you cannot deny that. It's, it's in the history books. It's, it's, in, it's, in, it's, it's in the records. So you can, it's, it's undeniable. I looked at it, I verified it. It's undeniable. So, oh man. And I'm just about, Brother Rusty, I'm just about running out of time. I got some more stuff. Okay, First John, you say, well, what, what, what should I be doing? You know, now's not the time to sit on the fence. The Bible says in First John chapter 3, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. He said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not quite yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And verse 3 tells us what should we be, we be doing. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Purifieth himself. Not, not, you're pure in your spirit, but listen. Um, just like I said, we all we still got spots, we still got wrinkles in our flesh. You know, some, some you know sometimes I have trouble with my mind, especially when I play tennis with Elle. I have trouble with my mind sometimes. Yeah. Not when I win, but sometimes when I don't win. But anyway, we we should be purifying ourselves and getting ready for and follow and doing. Well, I just can't do it. You only have to do it one day at a time. Yeah. Just one day at a time is all you have to do. It. Amen. Well, I just well I just can't. Well, don't. You, first thing you need to do is correct your. You know, put a watch before your mouth that you don't sin against the Lord and start saying what you want instead of not what you can. Okay? So, and I'm, I apologize. We didn't have time to get over into uh, Daniel chapter 9 because I really wanted to get in there to show you that, and I'm going to close with this, but I want you to know that God has got two clocks. Anybody ever run track? I know I don't look like it, but I was pretty fast when I was in junior high school. I could run a 100-yard dash in 11 seconds. 
I couldn't do it in 11 minutes now. But, but when you, when you, if you run track, they have these, you have all these people at the finish line with stopwatches. Okay? And, and as you cross the finish line, God is in heaven, in the throne. He's got two clocks. He's got two stopwatches. One is Gentile time, and one is you. And if I had time, I'd take you over to Daniel chapter 9 and the book of Daniel. And we could go through the book of Daniel. I could show you all this in the book of Daniel. But he's got two clocks. He's got one clock for Gentile time. He's got another clock for Jewish time. Because four, and if you, if you understand the, oh, I wish I had time to do that. The prophecy of Daniel 70 weeks, okay, which is, weeks is actually the Hebrew word Shabuah, and it means segments of seven. In other words, 490 years from the departure of Israel from Babylon to the coming of the Messiah was 483 years. Okay? The very, Jesus was crucified exactly 483 years from the time the, the edict was issued by King Artaxerxes to go rebuild Jerusalem. Okay? What happened is that the crucifixion, the Bible says in, in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, he says, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Yeah. He says, and when Jesus was cut off at the cross, God stopped, took that Jewish clock and stopped it. Yeah. And it's sitting there. And he picked up another clock called Gentile time, or church, time, church clock, church age, grace clock. What do you, you can call it whatever you want. But it, 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 it pertains to the time that we're living in right now. And that clock's been tick, 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 tick. It's been ticking for almost 2,000 years. Yeah. And if you understand the parable of the Good Samaritan, yeah. you can understand that Jesus said he gave a hint that, I'll be back in two days, which is 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Okay. So what's, so what's going to happen when, the, when, we, when that Gentile church clock runs out? God's going to take that church clock. He's going to stop it. He's going to throw it away because it'll never be used again. And he's going to pick that Jewish clock up. And, he's going, and that thing's going to start ticking again for seven more years. And then once that seven years is up, Jesus Christ is returning to this planet with power and great glory. And he's going to rule this world with a rod of iron. There will be righteousness in this, in this world for a thousand years. Satan will be loosed at the end of that time. And he's going to... And you stop and think about it. There's going to be people that are going to live through that and still don't believe Jesus. And he's going to be sitting there in person in Jerusalem ruling from the throne of David. And there's people still not going to receive him. How stupid can you be? I mean, gosh, you have to be deaf, dumb, no telling what to be stupid. You know, there's the king of the universe who created everything that we see sitting right there, and, you, and you're still not going to perceive him. So, so that's what's going to happen, okay? And I'm, I apologize for I'm running out of time. I, I had a few, bit, few things more. But we're going to stop there, Brother Rusty, and I'm going to turn it back over to you. You know, I was thinking so, about something that he said, and I, I do want to, uh, for Brother Ted to come back and, and uh, minister these things again. But if you've noticed how much conditioning there is in Hollywood, both of the, the extraterrestrial and of individuals that walk, walk on the earth that have power above others. And, you know, that's a conditioning that's taking place in people's mind right now that you have to be very careful of. You have to watch out what you put in front of your eyes on a continual basis. And, you know, I was in San Diego, California back in the mid Oh, 90s, and we did several revivals in that area, both in San Diego and up in Temecula. And there's a church in uh, San Diego. Literally, now, now, this it blew my mind. I thought it was a joke until I actually found out about it. But there's a church in San Diego that has built a 10,000-foot runway. And they believe that a UFO is going to come land and going to come up to their, to their, to their church 
and, uh, and, and, you know, make all these people like supermen. But, you know, some of the richest celebrities and people in the United States are connected to that church that believe that garbage. And that's what it is. It's garbage. But thank God for the truth. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? Stand on your feet. Father, we bless your name tonight. Thank you for this wonderful enlightenment and information. Father, bless Brother Ted. Open doors for him to, to go and speak this into the body of Christ in detail. Lord, prepare your church for these last of the last days where we're busy about the master's business. Do not let us fall into apathy and complacency in our lives or in the church, Father. Give us the momentum and the desire to serve you with all of our hearts. Father, as we leave tonight, we thank you for that which you do for us according to your word. In protection and safety and blessing, Psalms 91 is ours. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Thank you, Lord God, whether we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways, or the righteous labor of our hands. No matter what we do, where we go, we are blessed and protected by you. Father, let us be alive and on fire with evangelism in our hearts. Let us recognize and realize that outside the four walls of the church are multitudes, multitudes of people in the valley of indecision. Let us be a light. Let us be life. Let us be an answer to their prayer, a problem to the, uh, to the adversary, and a miracle in their lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. So we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love towards you. We love you so much. We live in... We leave, uh, uh, we walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. And we leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord. Here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.